All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Uh, we're in Lesson 54, Ezekiel 3. You know, I, I have to admit, I'm smiling, one, because we're not in Lamentations, but two, uh, because there's something about this book that's super intriguing to me. I can't even honestly tell you it all makes sense to me. You're like, well, that's not a very good teacher. Well, uh, join the club when you read the book of Ezekiel. I mean, it's pretty profound, it's pretty deep, and there's a lot of visuals. And so when you hear and see visuals, you, you, your mind goes there as well. And so, I mean, here we are. We just gave a backdrop yesterday, which most of you probably didn't even think I breathed, which I don't think I did either. It's because I'm excited about this. Like, I'm legitimately excited about, one, Mindy's painting. You know, when I, when I see this, I think of Valley of Dry Bones. But then at the same time, here we are. We, we've got a scroll that has, I, you see bees, which then, you know, we're in Ezekiel 3 today, you guys. And he's told to eat the scroll. So here he is. He's going to be, he's going to eat this, Kevin. You think you put honey on it? Mm, I hope the bees weren't there. But here's the point. It's like, you know, in Ezekiel 1, I got to slow down and back up the, back up the train here a little bit. Because one, we only have to go through one chapter today. Praise God. Ezekiel 1. Kevin, can you go to our fun map that we have of the Chabar Canal? You've got 10,000 exiles, okay? Here they are, fifth year of King Jehoiakim. The dude's blind, can't see. And what do you know? Uh... Uh, Ezekiel and his wife are hanging out down here, right? The Chabar Canal. And Kevin, what happens in Ezekiel 1? He's hanging out and he sees a vision. He sees a vision. A vision of flashing lights, cherubim, four living creatures, four faces, lots of wings, lots of wheels. (laughs) And they move as the Spirit of God directs them above the four cherubim. Here you have a throne with the appearance of a man and then the appearance of a man then describes the fire around his waist, the fire shooting down. And yes, it's an incredible picture of the presence of God. Now, in Ezekiel 2, which we didn't really get into yesterday because we had to fly through it, is that here he, and I like what, uh, I like what John MacArthur said in this, okay? And I think it's important that we understand this, is that uh, the, the divine appearance was in, in, verse, in chapter 1. But the divine assignment was in chapter two. So in chapter two, Kevin, we've gone over this just a little bit, but he gets the assignment and he says, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites. I'm in Ezekiel two, three and to the rebellious nations who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. And, you know, if I'm if I'm Ezekiel sitting around, I'll be like, yeah, clearly that's obvious. It says in verse four, the children are obstinate and hard hearted. I'm sending you to them and you must say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm like, well, I'm already here. I'm already here with all of the exiles. Kevin, this is the second exile, right? So you have the first one came in the time frame of Daniel. Second one comes in the time frame of Ezekiel. The third one's going to happen in 586. Just so you know, Ezekiel will be here when 586, the fall of Jerusalem takes place. And so now God's telling Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a message that they're not going to want to hear and they're not going to actually receive. Okay, great. Thanks. Right. But that's the role of a prophet many times is that you're to release a word that nobody wants to receive. So, Kevin, what we've studied before is that if he doesn't release the word, it's on him. If he releases the word and they don't do anything with it, it's on them. If he releases the word and they receive it, 
everybody wins. But in this scenario, nobody wants to receive it. So that's your transition into Ezekiel chapter 3. He says, okay, son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So eat this scroll. Um, like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about actually, hmm, yum, num, 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 num. I think he's still in his vision though, right? He's still in his vision. In, in verse 2, I opened my mouth and then God fed Ezekiel the scroll. Here you go, little Ezekiel, you know, a little more on your chin. You know, like he fed me the scroll and he says in verse 3, Son of man, he said to me, eat and fill your stomach with the scroll I'm giving you. So I ate it and it was sweet as the honey in my mouth. Now, the word honey, you, you cannot move on. I love Mindy's painting here. She's got illustrations of bees. Bees at times can be annoying, but bees are also what bring about honey. And so John MacArthur says, even though the message was judgment in Israel and on Israel, the scroll was sweet because it was God's word. And because it vindicated God in holiness, righteousness, glory, and faithfulness, and when Jeremiah also delighted in this as well. So you understand this. The word might be harsh, but because it's the Lord's word, it's sweet. Okay, does that make sense? It's kind of like this. Make sure you understand this, that there will be bitterness in it because of the judgment, but yet it's still sweet. That's the, the, the mentality that I want us to keep embracing. And in fact, Kevin, can you go to Revelation 10, 9 and 10? Uh, the Apostle John has the same mentality. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. So here you have John and, and Jesus says, take it and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. So like, oh, this tastes wonderful. Verse 10. Then he says, then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand. Sorry, I said Jesus. It was the angel from the angel's hand and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I ate it, my, I was like, why did I eat that? My stomach felt bitter. It's kind of like eating a 20-ounce filet mignon. You're like, it tastes really amazing. But once it's in your stomach, you're like, I think you get the point. So you're delighting in the Word of God. But sometimes what you have to release isn't very pleasant. And so he says in verse 4 through 27, really, guys, there's this, uh, this, this declaring the Word of the Lord. That's what he has to do. So he says, then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel. Speak my words to them. Okay, so I need you to be a messenger. Okay, uh, I, Israel, Kevin, is his audience. Sounds kind of obvious. The message, though, is the word of God. Go ahead, Kevin. Is this Israel as a whole, or Judah and? Uh, it's a great question, but I would tend to say more southern Judah than I would a more southern kingdom. Now you have to understand something. This is cool to me, and I like what Warren Wearsby does. There's no substitute messenger for Ezekiel. He's the guy. He's the guy in this. And oh, by the way, don't go to anybody else. You communicate to the house of Israel. Like this isn't at this time for anybody else. And there's, there's no altering the message. This is the word of God. You speak my words to them, not your words. Just kind of a cool picture here. In other words, you are um, the herald. You are the ambassador. You're the representative. We know this, you guys. But remember when kings would send people ahead of time? This is that same image. Don't worry about how it's received. It's a matter of just going. And in verse 5, it says, For you're not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel. In other words, 
um, how do you put it this way? Like they'll, they'll tangibly be able to understand what you're communicating. Like it's not of another language. Uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, Kevin, can you go to Matthew 11, 21 through 24? Okay. Uh, Matthew 21 through 24. Uh, what you're going to see is very similar. Just, just hang on here, okay? And then I'm going to tie this in. What are you crazy? What are you Bethsaida? This is Jesus. For the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have been, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. Verse 22. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll go down to Hades for the miracles that were done in you had been done in Saddam, it, Sodom. Excuse me. It would have remained until today. Verse 24. But I tell you, It'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom, Sodom, Sodom <laughs> on the day of judgment than for you. So, Kevin, here you have three, three communities, Chorazim, Capernaum, and Bethesda. They didn't receive the work of the Lord. They didn't receive Christ, correct? correct. Same picture that happens to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is told, okay, look, this is where you're headed. You're going into these people groups. Now watch in verse 6, okay, and you're going to see in verse 7. You're not being sent to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand. No doubt if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. Now in verse 7, but the house of Israel will not want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. If it happened to Christ, look, they're not going to listen to to Ezekiel. For the whole house of Israel is hard-headed and hard-hearted. God, I don't really want to go, right? I mean, this is the mentality. And so God is already telling, he's already telling Ezekiel, yeah, just basically preach to nobody. But eat my scroll. It's going to be sweet, but it's going to be bitter in what you release. Uh, in John 15, verse 20. John 15, verse 20, you see the same image. John 15, remember the word that I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, look what it says. They'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So here you have this picture of exactly what Ezekiel went through is exactly what what Christ went through. Not maybe to the extreme, but the point is, is that the the house of Israel does not want to listen. And so what you see in verses four through nine, and I really like this, this image that Wearsby describes, is that first of all, you see Ezekiel known as a messenger. I need you to go do this. Eat the scroll and deliver the message. And in verse 8, man, we read this yesterday, but verse 8 and 9, dear Lord, bless his heart. Look, man, I've made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Verse 9, I've made your forehead like a diamond, harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them or discouraged by the look on their faces, even though they are a rebellious house. Like, in other words, I have strengthened you. You guys remember his name? Remember, strengthened by God. Remember, hold on that God is seizing you like you have to have this this mentality is that God's going to actually enable the prophet to live up to his name. You need to be strengthened by me in order to walk this thing out. (laughs) Oh, poor guy. Hey, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ask for revival with the Israelites. Uh, It's not going to work. No, I'm going to tell them if they repent and turn back to the Lord, it's, it's, they're not going to listen. No, but God, you've called me to this. I'm going to go and see that they would turn back to you. By the way, they're as hard as a rock and thick-headed. And so that's why he makes this transition into verses 10 through 15. Not only are you going to be a messenger, but Wearsby says, oh, by the way, you're going to be a sufferer. Remember, eat the scroll. 
and do what I tell you to do. Next, he said to me, son of man, listen carefully to all my words that I speak to you and take them to heart. Now, Kevin, at this point, just right now, he's still at the, the canal, right? He's still in a vision, right? right? Heavens this is, opened up. Heavens have opened up. He's downloading everything. He says, go to your people. And then verse 11 of Ezekiel 3, the exiles, and speak to them. Tell them, this is what the Lord God says, whether they listen or refuse to listen. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Tel Aviv, remember that's where he's told to go. Tel Aviv is not Tel Aviv. So I know sometimes our mind would actually go there, but uh, there's actually numerous villages and numerous Jewish settlements along here. This is where he's told to go. And he says, this is what you're supposed to tell him. <laughs> uh, the spirit then, well, not, he hasn't got into the words yet. In verse 12, he says, the spirit then lifted me up and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Praise the glory of the Lord in his place. Uh, I, I don't know how to, to tell you this, Kevin. He's now being elevated into a heavenly vision. Okay, so chapter one was a vision. Let me clarify something we had just said. Chapter two, right, that God is downloading to him in this process. And then chapter three, again, he's taking him into this place of a vision. He lifts him up into this elevation, maybe into this third heaven. First heaven is what? Right here. Second heaven is sun, moon, uh, right? Stars. Galaxy. Galaxy second layer. Third heaven is in the presence of God. And so here you have the spirit says, lifted me up. I heard a grumbling, great rumbling sound behind me. Praise the glory of the Lord. It says with the sound of the living creatures, wings. Remember that sound brushing against each other and the sound of the wheels beside them, a great rumbling sound. So he's probably hearing at least we can say the four living creatures and the four faces on each creature with their wings. That's probably what he's hearing in 14. So the spirit then what lifted me up, took me away. I left in bitterness and in an angry spirit. And the Lord's hand was on me powerfully. I got to tell you, this is a weird text right here. Why do you think he left in bitterness and in an angry spirit. Like he's hanging out with his exiles and all of a sudden he's taken up into the presence of God. Any thoughts on this? Rich, Kevin, Tom? I mean, he, I think he's just expressing human emotion. I think it's a cool vision, but the Lord tells him, you're going to go say this to these people, but they're not going to believe you. So he's like, well, what's the point of me going to tell them anyway, other than my obedience? But he could be frustrated with that. I mean, I think so. I mean, there's bitterness. I mean, that's what it says. As soon as he ate the scroll, there was bitterness in his stomach. So he still has that, that this bitterness is, I don't want to go to a people group that's not going to receive me. I don't want to go to a people group that has to. And so there's just probably like confusion, anger, all this stuff. And it says the Lord's hand was on me powerfully. So he senses the presence of God. So then it says in verse 15, I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were living by the Chabar Canal. And I sat there among them stunned for seven days. So maybe, you guys, he experiences the presence of God. Maybe he then brings them and then he plops them right down, right? And now I sit there for seven days. I'm sitting there stunned for, <laughs> for seven days. This is really maybe the main city, you guys. John MacArthur says, Tel Aviv, for Jewish captives who may have, Kevin, to your point, may have included some of the 10 lost tribes taken long before the conquering of the northern kingdom. So there could have been some of the, of the tribes from 722 BC. They, they could still, they could still be, be, uh, be there. So now he's sitting there for seven days. Okay, so Kevin, this is real time now, right? He's not in a vision anymore. 
Correct. The Lord really spoke to me about this. Here he is amongst the people, amongst the exiles. He's a part of them. Like, right? He's a prophet that's among them who's experiencing what they're going through. Okay, he's a prophet to the captives. He's going to release words to the captives that they aren't going to understand. But it's kind of like the Jeremiah, how he's the weeping prophet, how it points to what Christ does and how Christ weeps. You know, I think there's the same thing about as Ezekiel. He's suffering among the captives. I mean, isn't that what Christ did with us? You think about this. He spends time with us and yet he delivers a message that people don't hear. Um, there's a lady, and I think this is a cool picture, Joanna Weaver. I'm not going to take time to write them all out, but just so you know, when Christ spent time here on earth, he knew what temptation was. Christ knew what poverty was. He knew what frustration was. He knew what weariness was. He knew what disappointment was. He knew what rejection was. He knew what sorrow was. Jesus knew what ridicule was. He knew what loneliness was. Jesus knew and went through what we suffered through as well. And I think there's a picture of Ezekiel going through these seven days. I mean, think about this. He identified with them, the exiles, in their suffering. You got to go back to Psalm 137.1. He understands, yes, he just got a vision. Yes. But at the same time, look how the people are, are acting right now. They sat down, they wept when we remembered Zion. They remembered what they're going through. And so Jeremiah has this role as a messenger and as a sufferer. Okay, so remember this. He, he's basically giving uh, Ezekiel, God's giving Ezekiel his call on his life. He says, this is how it's going to flesh out. You're going to be a messenger to them. You're going to be a sufferer among them. And then in verses 16 through 21, look what he says. You're going to be a watchman as well. So he says in verse 16, now at the end of the seven days, sitting at the water, uh, the word of the Lord came to me. And we don't know, like he didn't know. Maybe he knew that it was going to be seven days, but he just sat there stunned. <laughs> Son of man, I've made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. Now, a watchman is clear to play a warning role. Okay, a couple obvious things. MacArthur says this, the role of a, of, a, uh, of a watchman was to be on a city wall. Okay, vigilant to spot the approach of an enemy. And when the enemy comes, what do you do? You warn them. You tell everybody, hey, by the way, everybody get up, get ready, get your defense going. That's the role of a watchman. The role of a watchman is to call out people to get everybody ready. In other words, a prophet gives timely warnings. And I think this is this is huge that MacArthur says of approaching judgment. You're supposed to release these words that the judgment is coming. The work of a watchman is vividly set forth. Now, here's the one thing that I'm wrestling with Ezekiel, and I have no problem telling you this. They're already experiencing the judgment, right? They're in exile. So, Kevin, what more is the judgment at that they have not received yet at this time? That Jerusalem was what? Going to be wiped out. Like, he's going to totally take care of and wipe out their land. But is it the current or is it the coming? Yes, I think it's a both and, but I think when you're sitting in exile, stunned with people, I think in his mind, I think in their mind, it's right here. So I think it's an interesting picture. Hey guys, there's, <laughs> uh, there's more to come actually. You thought this was bad? By the way, there's, there's more. So he says in verse 18, and we've alluded to this already about releasing a word, but in verse, six, uh, verse 18, it says, if I say to the wicked person, you'll surely die, but you did not warn him. You do not warn him. You don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life. 
that wicked person will die for his iniquity. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. So I'll, I'll summarize this here in a little bit. But if you warn a wicked person and he does not turn from his wicked wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. Continues on in verse 20. Now, if a righteous person, okay, turns from his righteousness and practices iniquity, and I put a stumbling block in front of him, he will die. If you did not warn him, he will die because of his sin and the righteous acts he did will not be remembered. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. And then finally in verse 21, it says this, but if you warn the righteous person, righteous person, person that he should not sin and he does not sin, he will indeed live because he listened to your warning and you will have saved your life. Kevin? I think that last verse would give some hope though that yes i i could see see the righteous survive we could make it out of this exit there is a possibility kevin that you're saying there could be deliverance with the people i have to agree all right let's keep going here so these are a couple different roles he's been told to eat the scroll And then in eating the scroll, God says, by the way, here's some of your roles. Okay, so right now, it seems to me like there's really two groups that are unfolding here. One is Ezekiel and then his audience, right? That's really what it comes down to. Ezekiel, are you going to do these things? And don't worry about how the audience responds. So, and then he says this, and this is a really interesting picture. I had to really think through this one. In verse 22 through 27, Warren Wiersbe says, not only does he serve as these three things, but he also... Ezekiel serves as a sign. Then the hand of the Lord, I'm in verse 22 of Ezekiel 3. Then the hand of the Lord was on me and he said to me, get up, go out to the plain. Because where was he at at this point? He's at the, the water, right? He said, I need you to go out to the plain and I'll speak with you there. Okay. <laughs> so I got up, I went out to the plain. The Lord's glory was present there like the glory I had seen by the Chabar Canal, and I fell face down. So now, here's what he's saying. At the plain, he experiences the glory of God again. (laughs) The Spirit entered me, because remember, the Holy Spirit comes and goes in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit falls on people and goes into people, but Kevin, the Holy Spirit can leave at any time in the Old Testament. Once you enter into the new covenant or the new, which we haven't even used a phrase yet, the, the wording, new David, once we begin to see who Christ is in all of this, that Christ is the new David, we'll get into that later in Ezekiel uh, 34, I believe, um, and who Christ is. Uh, when, the, when the new David enters in, we have the Holy Spirit at all times. But until then, the Holy Spirit comes and goes. Okay, Just so you know, today you don't have to ever worry about the Holy Spirit leaving you. In Ezekiel 3, 24, it says, The Spirit entered me, set me on my feet, spoke to me, and here's what he said, Go shut yourself inside your house. Okay, now he knows that when he goes and shuts himself in his house, he's already said the glory of the the Lord is, is there. And he says, In you, okay, son of man, they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. Okay, there is a legit question of, one, is this a literal house, literal house, not a little house, or is this uh, like a house that he's just describing, you know, like not an actual house? Uh, what most people would say is that the rest of, much of Ezekiel's ministry from now on, much of it was done from his house, okay? 
Now, a couple of different things, and I think this is really interesting. Uh, and just so you know, if you go to Ezekiel 8, 1, Kevin, just as, so you have a picture here. So in Ezekiel 3, he's told to go shut himself in the house. And then in Ezekiel 8, 1, he says, I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting in front of me. So we know that at least he's doing ministry, okay? And as he's sitting there, okay, this is kind of cool, the elders will actually at least come and listen to him. Okay, does that make sense? You're not gonna, you don't need to go there, but in Ezekiel 12, it also talks about him doing ministry, okay, in his house in Ezekiel 12, Ezekiel 8. Now in Ezekiel 3, he says, go shut yourself inside the house. And it says, you're going to feel like they put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go among, uh, among them. Here's what John MacArthur says. These were not literal, but spiritual. It could be inner ropes. You got to hear this of depressing influence, which rebellious Jews put on Ezekiel's spirit. Here's what that means. It means that there's a religious spirit, okay, that there's a rebellious spirit from the exiles. And every time it's like he wants to release a word, he feels like he's in bondage. They put ropes on him. They bound him up so that he can't go and be among them. Is that literal? Is that, uh, is that figurative? I'm not sure. But he says in verse 26, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth and you'll be mute and unable to rebuke them for they are a rebellious house. So, okay, now wait, I thought you told me I was going to be a messenger. And now you're telling me, man, they're not even going to listen, but I'm going to become mute now and not even going to be able to rebuke what they're saying. Now, here's what's interesting. From the time that he entered the house, okay, in verse 24, all the way down, there's been studies that have been, is that maybe, maybe seven years elapsed in this time frame, okay? Just a thought in this, just to, all the way to 593 to 586 BC, okay? Kind of a crazy picture, but now watch this. He says in verse 27, but, okay, even though you're going to be unable to speak, even though you're going to be mute, even though they're not going to listen, he says, but when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, this is what the Lord God says, let the one who listens, listen, and let the one who refuses, refuses, for they are a rebellious house, uh, it's interesting, eight times in the Gospels, you hear the same language from Jesus, actually. You go to Matthew 11, verse 15, uh, there's at least eight times. I'll just give you a couple illustrations of this. Um, in Matthew 11, verse 15, it says, anyone who has ears should listen. What did we hear in 27? Let the one who listens, listen. So anybody who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? This is the mentality, Matthew 13, verse 9. Okay, Matthew 13, verse 9 says this. Uh, anybody who has ears should listen, right? Same mentality. I bet if you go to Matthew 13, 43, Kevin, it might say the same thing again. Matthew 13, verse 43. <clears throat> uh, but the righteous shall sign like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. I think, uh, Kevin, you hit the nail on the head. Ezekiel is not to speak out from his own gut or his own thoughts or his own flesh. He's only supposed to release when God opens his mouth. And out of obedience, regardless how they respond, we're supposed to do this. You know, I want to just close this out. Um, It's kind of an interesting picture. Warren Wearsby just says, look, you have two options when you read this story at this point. (laughs) Uh, Who who do we want to live like? Do we want to live like uh, Ezekiel? who's an obedient servant, doing even regardless, ridiculous things, but he's supposed to do it as an obedient servant, or do we want to function as rebellious people who never want to hear the truth? And I'll be honest, I think the church has to really wrestle with that question. 
I get it. This message is for the Israelites. I get this. This is the message for people that are in exile. He's been a messenger. He's suffering. He's going to be a watchman. He's going to serve as a sign. But the reality is, I think so many times, you guys, you really have two choices. I always heard this at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. You are either the missionary or you're the mission. You're either the missionary or you're the mission. You're either the obedient servant delivering the word or you're the audience on whether or not you're going to receive it or not. And I think we're at a point, you guys, in our nation, we've got to start functioning as obedient servants, delivering the scroll that we've eaten. No matter what the word is, it's still the truth. And many times I think we'd rather be the rebellious people who say, I don't want to hear the truth at all. Well, this is an interesting call for a 30-year-old who's just walking into his calling, isn't it? And oh, by the way, he's living amongst the people that he has to deliver the word. So he's not just coming and going. No, no, he has to deliver the word right where they're at. Okay, guys, this is Ezekiel chapter 3. It's actually just beginning to start. We'll talk to you more tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks. 